Good morning. Claudette, thank you guys. You guys thought of me taking my shoes off. <laughs> That's so good. Thank you so much. It's actually very cushiony. <laughs> that way if the Lord lays me out, then I'll be okay. Right? I won't be on concrete. That's good. That's good to be back. And uh, happy Memorial Day weekend. This is a special weekend to me and my heart because of what it represents, not because it's a three-day weekend. I mean, that's nice too, but, but it represents fighting for something that's special, fighting for a cause, right? And I am thankful to all who have been in the armed forces, who have sacrificed careers, they have sacrificed so much, even many of their lives, and all of history of what has been done to bring this country to a place where it is now. And I know if you look at the landscape of this country, you think, has he seen this lately? <laughs> oh, if you could see the landscape through God's eyes. If you could see what is going on through a lens of the Spirit, you would see that this nation is so close, so close to movement for Him. That's been the purpose of everything that he has been doing. That's been the purpose. And so I understand the thought process of giving your life to something, which is what many have done in the armed, for, armed, armed services. Many have done when they went to war. I've known many who were in the Iraq war. And the... I don't know, did they call that Afghanistan? Did they call that war? I don't even know if they called that war. I mean, it lasted forever, but I knew many who paid a dear price over there. I'm actually very excited because about a month from now, I'm going to be over there. I don't think I've announced that publicly. I'll be over in Iraq and in Jordan. Looking very forward to that. I've never been to that part of the world before. So we're thankful for what the Lord does in working in people's lives, men and women's lives, to forward a cause. And we find ourselves in that place, don't we, as the bride. We find ourselves in a war that is almost indescribable. But yet we have been here for a while. And all the things that the Lord has told us are ramping up. When he told us they're going to ramp up, guess what happened? They ramped up, didn't they? I notice more and more people that have rejected his prophets 
are starting to open their eyes to see, okay, wait a second, maybe there's something there. Maybe Amos actually is true when it says that the Lord does nothing until he presents it before his prophets to the world. And, and by the way, I am not claiming to be a prophet. The Lord has called me that, but he's called me many things. I'm talking about prophets that God has anointed in their many voices out there. And it's so amazing to me how they're saying the same thing. You know, if, if that isn't a proof to you, it doesn't have to be proof to the world. But it has to be proof to you. It has to be proof to you in your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So we find ourselves in a very unique time. And as I was with the Lord this morning and yesterday and just pressing into him and asking what he wanted this morning, he started to lay some things on my heart that really kind of surprised me. Things that happened on this trip. And he said, I want you to tell him about it. I said, okay. All right, that's, that's pretty well out there, Lord. I believe, I firmly believe I've seen the truth of it. And most of this group here believes and has believed. But all those online, I, I don't... I don't know if they're going to even understand. And the Lord said, you are doing it for those who will believe. That's what he said to me this morning is, this is for those who will believe. This line that has been in the sand for a couple of years now is so deep that there is no way to stand in the middle of it. There is only a choice to be on one side or the other. Trusting God or not. Trusting God or trusting in your own intellect. Trusting God or trusting in your own plans. Your own reactions to things that happen. And God is bringing that separation and making it so clear. In the bride. So it's interesting. You you guys know. And you know what? Before we go, let's uh, let's pray. Father, we worship you. We praise you. We thank you, God. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. Your mercy that flows so generously to your people. Your mercy that offers open arms to those who would believe. I thank you for that. But God, I also thank you for your justice, your justice that draws a line. Because it is from your justice that your remnant will be known and will be seen and will be drawn to you. Because this nation is not the prize. Peace is not the prize. This world is not the prize. But Father, you are the prize. 
Jesus, you are the prize. Holy Spirit, you are the prize. We can and we will endure anything that you desire us to endure. As long as you're the prize. Because in you there is love. In you there is peace. There is hope. In you, there's understanding of your plan. In a time that is so confusing, especially for the bride. In you, there is a knowing of your plan. I thank you. I thank you, Lord. I pray that you speak this morning according to your will. Speak through my voice. Allow none of myself in there. For I desire as well to sit before your feet and to listen. Mm, You're so good. You're so good. God, I also pray that you give me clarity in my voice with this cough that I have had. That all demonic efforts to come against that be crushed in Jesus' name. We thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So this trip, it was meant to be about going there to get the update on infrastructure. We're building this poultry farm that ultimately will produce about 20,000 chickens a week. And we're on our first building, and you know, you guys all know that, we've shared that. But this trip was about getting there because we're right at the beginning of rainy season and there's so much that needs to be done so we can get it accomplished before the rains start so heavily, which, by the way, they have already started heavily. Um, and just to be able to continue over the next several months. And that, that was my thought process. In addition to that, and I won't go into detail of this, but there was a word that the Lord gave me for somebody there that was very heavy on my heart and therefore made this trip a very heavy trip for me. So leading up to it, I'm asking the Lord, okay, give me... I'm, I'm asking Him, because this is a difficult word, because this is a negative word, and it will have great impact, please allow me to write it down. And not for a lack of faith, but allow me to write it down so I can leave it with him. So the Lord said, I want you to fast for three days. And this was the only thing on my mind. And this this was right before I left, literally the day before I left on the plane. And I said, awesome, no problem. I'll... 
fast for three days. And it would have ended, my fast would have ended literally about the moment I would have gotten onto the compound. And I started my fast. And I went one day with the fast, and then I went and caught the air, got the, the plane. Fully thinking, one track. And isn't it funny how when we are one-tracked, and by the way, we're supposed to be sometimes, if the Lord is giving you something to focus on, focus on it. But don't be surprised if he changes your track. Don't be surprised if he has you do something or bring something up that came out of left field. Because, see, God is strategic as well. Right? It doesn't say in... In Ephesians 6, that Satan is the only one that has strategy. And that's why we need armor. Now, if you think Satan has strategy, that's nothing compared to God's strategy. God does not clue us in on his strategy always. Because he doesn't want it revealed to the enemy. There's so many examples of that in the Word of God. So I I board the plane and, and... Right away, we had trouble. There was some weather, which that wasn't even really the trouble. Um, They couldn't get a pilot. I mean, of all things, we kind of need a pilot, right? And so they were waiting on the pilot. The pilot didn't get there. They tried to get another pilot. Pilot, That pilot wasn't there. You know, they kept trying to get them to come in from wherever they were. I don't know. Finally, they find this pilot that is local. And I'm assuming maybe he had some sleep. I I don't know. But but they brought him in. And and by this time, we were three and a half hours late. And I had a four-hour layover in Frankfurt, in Germany. And if you know anything about the Frankfurt airport, it's a tad bit of a walk (laughs) between usually between terminals. So, (coughs) the pilot said, we're going to be able to catch up a little bit, you know, and and hopefully it'll be okay. And I'm talking to them, you know, should I just cancel my flight and go out tomorrow? You know, because I don't want to get stuck in Frankfurt. And they said, oh, no, no, don't cancel. You'll be fine. Um, we're, We're pretty sure we'll be able to make up some of the time. And... And you'll be okay. You'll be okay. I said, okay, no problem. I, I trust you. And when I said that, I was looking up. <laughs> Not necessarily trusting the airlines, but, uh, but I trusted what the Lord wanted. And he wanted me to go. So I get on the plane, and, and we ended up sitting on the tarmac a little bit. So by the time we left, I think we were a little over four hours delayed. So I thought, okay, well, you know, I hope they do make up some time. And I had an internet service on the plane, and I'm watching it, and, and we, we did start to make up time. And, and the entire time I'm just praying, Lord, whatever you want. I really don't care. It's whatever you want. And he said something very odd to me. He said, well, I want you to eat. I said, but Lord, it, I'm, I'm only one day into my three days. I want you to eat because you're going to need your strength. And I'm thinking, oh boy, okay. <laughs> okay, it's going to be a really long layover. 
I don't know, I'm going to be sleeping on a bench somewhere. So I did, I had a meal. And as the flight went on, we did make up some time, and, and we're coming into Frankfurt Airport, and I figured I'm going to have 20 minutes. 20 minutes. Now, to get between flights, you, you pretty much have to run to try and make that happen. But there was a chance. And so I thought, Lord, that's all, that's all you need is a chance, right? You'll, you'll make this happen if you want this to happen. So we land, and I've never seen this before, ever. And, and I've, been, I've been on this, this flight dozens of times, never once saw this. I get off the plane, I look to my right, and the other gate is about 50 feet away. It's literally the next gate down where I'm going. Not, not cleared to another terminal or anything else. And I'm like, oh my goodness, thank you, Lord. We have time to spare. I literally get there with about 18 minutes left. They're still boarding the plane. There are people in line. So I get in line, walk up, hand them my ticket. This big thing goes, bang, red, blinking. I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to be arrested. I'm not sure why. <laughs> She says, uh, sir, you're, you're going to have to go over to the desk. Okay, so I go over to the desk, and I, and I hand him my ticket and my boarding pass, which I had, and I said, they told me to come over and talk to you, and the lady just gets this ghostly white look on her face, and she said, sir, you don't have a ticket. So what do you mean I don't have a ticket? Here's my ticket right here. No, sir, you don't have a ticket. United canceled your flight. Seriously? I said, wait, what do you mean they canceled my flight? I said, when did they cancel my flight? She said, just shortly after we took off the original flight, they canceled the flight. So, as you can imagine, I'm like, please, please. Okay, I'm here. You're here. We're here. There's a seat on there that was mine. Can, can we not figure this out? And she said, she said, well, no, sir, there's nothing I can do. I, can, I said, can you sell me a ticket? She said, no, because I, I guess it was a full flight and the things had already set it aside even though they canceled it. I don't know. It seemed ridiculous to me, but she said, there's nothing we can do except call United. I said, awesome, call United. She tried three times. They never answered the phone. United never answered the phone. So I'm sitting here watching all these people get on the plane. And I'm not getting on the plane. And, and I'm like, okay, what are my options? She said, well, you can stay the night here. We'll get you a hotel. And you can fly out tomorrow, same flight. You know, we'll get it all figured out. I said, yeah, but I need to be in Nigeria. I've got a person there waiting for me. And she said, well, the other option is we could fly you from here to London, and then you can catch the evening flight on British Air and go into Abuja and be there first thing in the morning. I'm thinking, okay, great. I mean, that, it makes for a longer trip for me, but for those picking me up, it didn't change a thing. They're, they're there for the, in the hotel anyways, and they just pick me up in the morning instead of at night. No big deal. So, yes, let's do that. So I get, it was a couple hours, then I get on the, the flight, and I'm asking the Lord, I, I said, is it, 
is this why you wanted me to eat? Because you knew that this would be stressful or something? You know, because I'm, I mean, honestly, the big stress of it was that I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing. Except each step, the Lord told me what to do. So I get on this flight, I'm flying to London, and when I was up in the air, that's when he told me something. And it was pretty extraordinary. He said, none of this was outside of my plan and outside of my will. He said, I needed to get you to London without anybody knowing, without the enemy knowing. He said, when you are in London, you're to stay there for a day. And I'm sending you three places. And I'm going to have you declare over those three, three places. So, as I'm talking with the Lord, I'm thinking, okay, I need some help on this one. <laughs> because... They're not going to believe me when I go to the airline and say, you know what, why don't you just cancel this reservation, move me to, to tomorrow so I could be in London for a day. Because the Lord told me to. <laughs> so I said, Lord, okay, I don't normally lay a fleece out, but I'm going to lay a fleece. If, if, if I am understanding you correctly, then I'm asking you, for to, you to pay for my ticket. Get that changed with no fees. Pay for my hotel room, which they wouldn't normally do. Pay for my food, which they certainly wouldn't do. Just all those things as a confirmation for me. Make it easy for me, Lord. And so when I landed, I went to the United Counter and I told them my predicament. I was a little vague. I didn't say that I had to go declare over three sites in London. I just said, I have to be on the ground here for 24 hours. I said, I can't be up in the air tonight, so I need to move my flight tomorrow. And by the way, you guys were the ones that screwed this whole thing up. So you should do this for me. And on top of that, I need a place to stay. And on top of that, I need food. You need to take care of this for me because, by the way, you guys were the ones that screwed this up. I actually would have made my flight if it weren't for you guys. So this is your own fault. And, and so the guy looks at me wide-eyed and he's like, sir, we don't do that. Let me get my supervisor. And so the supervisor comes out and, and he, by the way, he was great. I don't want to down United. I mean, maybe United, like big umbrella United, they, they're frustrating. But this guy was awesome. He looks at me, and I'm a, I'm a gold member flyer, and he, he just looks at me and he says, he says, now what is this? And I explain the same thing. He said, oh, absolutely. No problem. No problem. When do you want to leave? Okay, no problem. Tomorrow night, no problem. You need a car? Okay, no problem. You need food? You need a hotel? No problem. They put me up at this hotel, and I'm thinking, you know, you know side of the road, dingy thing. Not at all. I mean, this place was really nice. This was really nice. I go in, and, and the only place I could eat there in the hotel was, it was called Something Steak and Lobster. <laughs> I said, Lord, these are the fleeces that I like. I mean, these are really good. I love this. Thank you. And, and by the way, my dinner, 
forgive me, I, I shouldn't even say this, my dinner was almost $100. One person. And I don't drink. That's not because of alcohol. The steak was really good. So, so then the next day, you know, I called down to the concierge and I, I, said, I said, Sir, I, I need a car because where I need to go is about an hour and a half away from here tomorrow. I need a car for about five or six hours. And he said, uh, we don't really do that. And I said, how do you not do that for people that come in and need to go places? I said, I can't do that with Uber. They just take me one point to another point. I need a car hourly. And he said, well, let me, let me call somebody. And he calls a friend of his. And so they picked me up in this insane Mercedes. <laughs> I'm like, Lord, this is cool when you divert your plan. This is really awesome. I love this. Thank you, God. But God had confirmed what I needed to do. And what it was, was he took me to a place where I had not been in 21 years. He took me to Stonehenge. I remember 21 years ago being at Stonehenge and feeling so drawn to that place, but I wasn't sure why. I don't know if it was an eerie drawing or, or it was just... I mean, back then I didn't even believe in the spirits, whatever. I mean, I did, but I didn't understand it. Whatever that feeling was, it was a feeling of, we're not the only ones here. <laughs> and it was of, like there's so much going on that we're not aware of. That was 21 years before. So when I could get in the car, and it was about an hour and a half drive, and, and this guy that I spoke with, he, he was an awesome guy, very nice. Um, and we get up there, and as I'm walking up Stonehenge, it's a hill, it's sitting on top of a hill, for those of you who, who've never seen it. As you're walking up this hill, you start to see the tops of this memorial, what used to be an altar, and, and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, literally in the middle of nowhere, no other rocks around. And you've got this ancient temple. But the feeling walking up there was very different this time. The feeling was ownership. And it was, it was strange. Like, I, I didn't understand that feeling, but I'm, I'm walking up there, and, and, and it was like these thoughts kept, kept coming to my mind like, What are these people doing on my land? But yet I knew it wasn't the physical people. It was the spirits that inhabited there. I literally wasn't there for more than probably 15 minutes, maybe 20. I got up there, I circled around it, took pictures, and then I stopped and I did a declaration that the Lord gave me. And that declaration, just to explain briefly what it was, was a notice of eviction. It was not a warning. It was not a please leave. 
it was, you're gone. And then the Lord had me declare something else there. And that is that those stones will be destroyed. These are stones that have been there for thousands and thousands of years. They're pre-flood. Don't, don't let, don't Google and say, well, no, they're 3,000 years old. No, they're about 5,000 years old. They're pre-flood, and they've stood from all that. But the Lord had me declared that they'll be destroyed, and they will fall. So I leave, and as I'm driving back, you know, <laughs> this guy had to think that I was pretty weird. Because I want to say the car ride probably cost $500, something like that. And... We were there 15 minutes. You know, he would probably think, you know, maybe stay and enjoy it a little bit or something. He didn't understand what I was there for. But on the way back, I started to talk to him about it. And he knew I was a pastor. And we talked. He was conservative. He knew I was conservative. I was telling him things going on in the States and that sort of thing. And, but then I told him something that the Lord told me to tell him. He said, tell him Stonehenge is going to fall. Hey, by the way, Stonehenge is going to fall. It's going to be destroyed. And I don't expect you to believe that. That's okay. But when, it's, when it does happen, and it's going to be very soon, when it does happen, remember you had this pastor in your back seat that said he heard from the Lord saying that they're going to fall. And it'll be a testimony to you to turn to Jesus Christ. And he was dead silent. I don't even think he knew what to say. I, I, he quickly changed the, the discussion. But he was very nice. I wish I could remember his name. But then the Lord took me down to London. And we went to two different points in London. And, and I won't get into that specifically because that's for another time. But those two specific points in London were not a notice of eviction, but they were a warning. In other words, eviction is coming if you don't want to be dragged out and taken to the abyss. Leave now. This is your only warning. And that was in those other two points. So then the Lord began talking to me. He had told me about this before when I was on the flight over to London. But he said, what you do at Stonehenge you will also do at Zuma Rock. And uh, let me back up and say this. When I was walking up, when I was at Stonehenge, I felt nothing. I, I told you I felt ownership. But, I mean, in the spirit, I felt nothing. Nothing at all. It was like vacant. And, and this was before the declaration. I didn't feel the, the, the warfare in the spirit there. So, so then the Lord said, when you fly into Nigeria, you're going to meet Michael and, and straight way go to Zuma Rock, which is about a 45 minute drive opposite direction of where we go. I'd never been to Zuma Rock before. By the way, let me explain the significance of these two places. As I, as I shared three weeks ago or whatever it was, 
with the hierarchy in in the the demonic realm. Okay, if if you don't know what I'm talking about, you go and look it up, listen to it, so you understand that hierarchy. Where there were seven, there's Satan, and then there's seven principalities, and then under those seven principalities, there are seven other principalities, lesser principalities. In each of those areas. Those seven were sent to seven zones in the world. This occurred at the Tower of Babel. This occurred when, when God literally gave the nations their inheritance, which was these demonic principalities, because they would not believe God. He said, fine, you don't want to believe me? I give you over to these principalities. There were seven all throughout the world. This was part of the understanding that God taught us early on at Ignition as to why he called us to seven places. It isn't that we'll be just in those seven places. It's that those places were the point of authority for that region. Okay, the region which effectively is Europe... The seat of power was there at Stonehenge. And if you go back a few weeks, I, I, think, I think I shared this, I can't remember, but the specific principality that was over that region was Ashtoreth. I'm sorry, it was Moloch. Now they're gone. Moloch's gone, his seven, gen- or seven colonels, whatever you want to call them, they're gone. They were all gone. They've been gone for almost two years. I think it was pre-COVID, right, friend? Yeah. So they, they've been gone for a while. And so the Lord said, you're going to go to Zumarok. Why Zumarok? Because Zumarok was the seat of power for that region. And that principality, by the way, was Ashtoreth, who is also gone into the abyss, along with his seven colonels in the abyss. So I landed. I wasn't able to tell anybody about my plans until I get in the car and I tell Michael. I mean, the only one who kind of knew was Bren, who guessed. And thank you for not being too detailed on your text. <laughs> Lord told her, don't be too detailed. Just leave it alone. But I get in the car and I tell Michael, we're going to Zoom Iraq. Um... Or I might have told him just before that, I can't remember. But we drive up to Zuma Rock, and I've never been there before, and you kind of drive up this road, and Zuma Rock is in the background on top of this hill. Now, Zuma Rock is not a little rock. It's really more like Zuma Mountain. <laughs> I mean, this thing is a solid piece of granite. I'm going to say... The height of a 20-story building, maybe? Maybe maybe more? Maybe higher? I mean, it's huge. Humongous. And it's got this big old face right on the side of it. It wasn't painted on there. The face literally was naturally carved into the rock. And so it's a little creepy driving up to this thing. It's like this face is looking at you. And the Lord had the same plan for Zuma Rock. The principality's already gone. The warning had already been given many times, and we were there to evict. And not only evict of that space, but evict the authority that that seat 
had. You understand what I mean? Okay. So we get up there, and this one was very different for me. I don't... I am not one who typically sees in the Spirit, not one who typically feels in the Spirit, but the Lord does allow me to sometimes. And I get up, and we get out, and we're walking up to Zumarok, right up to it, and I felt so heavily the Spirit realm there. But it was weird. I, I didn't feel... Fear. I mean, I felt fear actually of the enemy, but but it was more confusion. It's more like, what in the world is going on? Why is this happening? And and I'm sensing that from from the demonic spirit. And something strange happened to me. I I've been going to Nigeria for what I think seven years now. I don't think in all my times there are dozens and dozens and dozens of times. I don't think I've ever been bit by a mosquito one time, which is kind of strange. Not one time. And we go, and Michael, on the other hand, he's like a magnet for mosquitoes. You know, he walks into a room and maybe that's why I've been gotten bit, because they all just get attracted to him. Likely the same way, they're just attracted to them, their blood types. But this was so different. Michael's standing next to me, and they're just buzzing around me. They're landing on me. I'm getting bit all over. And Michael's like, no, they're not on me at all. I'm like, wait a second, Lord. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I like this. But then we declared there. And the Lord had me declare destruction over that place as well. Now, I don't know how the Lord's going to do that one. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know if the face is wiped off. Or if he cracks that whole rock. But do you understand that under both places, and by the way, this is scientifically proven, under both places, under Zumarok and under Stonehenge, is a network of waterways. Now, in Zumarok, you could actually access them. There are caves that you could go down into. I don't think there's anything like that at Stonehenge, but but I'm getting all this all this going on, and I'm thinking, okay, we need to hurry up this 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 declaration, and and so I give the declaration, and I give the declaration of of it to be uh, destroyed, and we get back in the car and we head down, and I have the team pray over me for malaria because. That's very prevalent there, and I've never, I don't take malaria medicine anymore. I did the first few times, and because I never got bit, never worried about it. So their prayers were important to me. By the way, I never got malaria. In fact, the bumps hardly itched. They itched at first for maybe the first day, and then, then they were done. So after this, a couple days later, I was with the court team, and we went before the Lord, and I was asking him, what happened here? What, what does this mean? And, and he said that the land, you know, I, I said, is, is this a cleansing of the land? And he said the demonic spirits 
are no longer there. Completely clean. Not like get out and then they make their way back in. But it's get out into the abyss. And then each place, Stonehenge and Zumarok, the court team each released one special angel to work in tandem. So to stay there at those places, it was one, correct? Brent, do you remember? Two, thank you. Okay, that's why I asked. It was two each, so it was a total of 24 that were released to stand guard at each one because those spirits are not coming back. They have no place of authority. And so I'm just asking the Lord, and, and, and I think others ask the Lord as well, kind of, what was the difference between Stonehenge and Zumarok? Because I go to Stonehenge... And, like, there was nothing. There was nothing in the way. There was nothing that I felt. And I go to Zumarok, and I feel it all. And the Lord, you ever, you ever talk to the Lord, and he makes a joke? It was awesome. I said, well, what was going on at Stonehenge? And he said, he said, well, the demonic spirits were asleep. Or maybe they were out back going to the bathroom. <laughs> And we just start laughing. Yes, Lord, thank you. Either way, they weren't paying attention. But the truth of it was, they did not know that I was coming. That's what he said. They didn't know you were coming. But at Zuma, they knew. He said, how did they know? Because the Satan, he said, no. He said, it traveled through the lower ranks. And got to those at Zuma knowing you were coming. So that's why I felt that. It wasn't warfare, because they have no strength. They had no authority over that ground to mount an offensive. But they knew I was coming there. And then I asked the Lord one other thing, and it, it was really interesting. I said, they didn't know... Like Satan didn't tell them, didn't plan an attack because he couldn't. Because he has spread so many lies about this being his time. About this being the time of the Antichrist. About this being his time of conquering. He has spread so many lies about that. I said, so he couldn't tell them what was going on, could he? And the Lord said, no. I said, in fact, do they even know? I said, do the lower spirits even know that those seven are out of their throne of authority and the seven under them? Do they even know it? The Lord said, no. They just think they're missing. Perhaps they think that they're with Satan mounting some... Big plan for the Antichrist. See, this puts Satan at a real disadvantage. And this is something you need to get, church. He can't muster forces against his remnant bride, against God, because he literally would be admitting that God has defeated him. Wow. Wow, what a, what a thought. 
And it doesn't mean that there's not warfare. There is warfare. There's heavy, heavy warfare. Why? Because we're to take the land that we took, like there at Stonehenge, like there at Zumarok. We're to take the land everywhere. That's what His bride is called to do. Because it's our inheritance. So many in the bride are just sitting back and saying, Yes, my inheritance is in heaven. Missing the fact that God wants it to be declared here. Not for our sake, but for His. For His own sake. So the world would see Him for who He is. Revelation 3.9 Revelation 3 talks about the, the world literally coming to one who is anointed. It says ten will walk with one saying, I just want to know you because you know God. See, that's never happened before. But it's about to. And that knowing of God is not the certificate of rebirth. In your salvation. It's beyond that. It's knowing Him in relationship. It's knowing Him in the sanctification of your lives. Building that relationship day to day to day. Saying, yes, Lord, whatever you want. Whatever you want. I trust you. As I was sitting with Him this morning... He took me to Exodus. And he said two words to me. And it's... It rocked me. This should rock you. It needs to rock his bride. It will rock his remnant. But he said no compromise. No compromise. No compromise. What the Lord is doing requires no compromise. When He promised them, being Israel, the promised land, it was was upon the condition of no compromise. None. We cannot give in to anything that the enemy does. No compromise. That's where mercy can be very confusing. Because if you look at your enemy and you don't recognize the spirit behind them, then one, you may see them not as God sees them because He sees these people as a redeemable soul that He loved. Loves that His Son died for. But we can also <coughs> do the opposite. And out of our mercy, we can decide to compromise. Well, okay, we'll just kind of meet in the middle. We'll do this and we'll do that. We won't, we won't ban abortion. We'll, 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 we'll take these little things and, you know, maybe, maybe rape and incest and... And this and that. And here's a list of ten things 
will give you guys if you just work with us on this compromise. No compromise. We are entering into the season of no compromise. God is building the foundations of a city of no compromise. And that no compromise, by the way, is for the good of these people. It's for the good of the people who even fight against it. It's for the good of the people that don't understand and have never seen the love of the Lord. It's for their good. We look at the insane things going on right now. Do you know when I left, to when I left, to when I got back, there were five shootings. And not small. Were there six? Yeah, in ten days. Five shootings. First one, I think, was like eight or nine people, or maybe it was 13 people, I can't remember. Then the next morning, there were five shot in a church, and one died. And then the next day, another one. And then the day before I come back is the one that's on the news right now with the 19 children and two teachers that were killed. Not even going to miss, or not even going to mention the shooter that was killed. Because honestly, he should have been killed before all 19 were gone. And I, I'm, not, I'm not speaking judgment on anybody there because I don't even know the situation. I just know we're at a point of no compromise. Life is life. Sometimes you give life for life. It's part of the fight. Jesus proved that on the cross because He could not do what He needed to do for us without giving of His life. And by the way, sorry, this is not about gun control. How, how about we do a bill called will control? <laughs> mind control. Where they control their mind... Here's an idea. How about stop playing games that are all about killing innocent victims and playing them for hours a day? How about if a law is passed that if you produce a game like that or you produce a movie like that or you produce media like that, that you go to jail? That you take part in the penalty of that loss of life? Oh man, guys, these things are coming. These things are coming because God's way will not be compromised. It won't be. Get on board or don't. No skin off my back. But if you get on board, then you're called for a purpose. That purpose is to recognize that God will go before you. God will lead you. And you just, when you give Him your yes, you just follow through. Turn to Exodus. Exodus chapter 23. And I, I just want to read through some of this here. 
This is when God promised, you know, he had already said it. It was in, in you know, promises before, but, but he promises the conquest of the promised land. Verse 20 in chapter 23. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. By the way, the word there, angel, is messenger. So I'm, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole, but, but just understand, do not differentiate this from God's word. God's word speaking and telling you where to go. That's what he's talking about. It's not that, hey, I'm sending an angel and I, I hope he does what I say. No, this is an angel who represents God. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. Recognize that we are at this point right now with the remnant. We are at this same point right now where transgressions will not be pardoned. Let me explain what that means. That is not saying that when you go before the Lord, Lord, forgive me of my sin, that it's not pardoned. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. And that's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about personal relationship. He is talking about the movement of Israel. About the generated faith of Israel and how they move in God's will. It's the same with the bride today. Globally, but I'm going to bring it down to the United States. Because how it goes in the United States, it will go in the world. And the United States is on the verge of civil war. Civil war is coming. The Lord said that to us, I don't even know, a couple of years ago. But we're there. And, and anybody with eyes sees that. Anybody with eyes sees the divide so deep. It has grown. I'm not even sure how in the world it can grow any further. But we're at that point. And what he's saying here is, United States, my bride, my remnant, stay on the path. Be obedient to the messenger that I have sent you. By the way, who's that messenger? It's Jesus Christ. He's the one who speaks. Why do you think many prophets will hear the same thing? In fact, sometimes the same exact words. It's because they're coming from the same source. And he says, obey it. Be careful. Pay attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him. For he will not pardon your, your transgression. Again, I'm not talking about on a personal level. I'm talking about as a remnant in this country that God is calling to rise up to lead. And he is doing that. It's time for the army to stand up. It's time for the army to say yes. It's time for the army to move forward. Do you know how long I've been waiting for this time? 
Do you know how long I was waiting for the time of that moment coming with Stonehenge? When the Lord first told me about it years and years ago, I've been waiting. But it's more than that. I did ask him an obvious question because the seat of power for this, for this North America, all the United States and the, the North American area, the seat of power is the Washington Monument. Now, before I ever even knew that, the Lord told me it's coming down. I don't even know how long ago the Lord told me that. Five, five six years ago. Something like that. And then I began to understand why. It was the seat of power. Now that principality is Abaddon. You find him in Revelation 9 verse 11. And just so you don't send me emails or texts. Yes, in Revelation 9 11, he comes from the abyss. It says he is the king who leads the angels from the abyss. How do you think he's going to get there? The angels don't want to be in the abyss. All the demonic principalities, they don't want to be in the abyss. It is not their summer home. It is not their kingdom where we go to the abyss because it's all good for us there. It was made to torture them, the Bible says. The abyss was not even made for God's children. It was made for those angels who fell. That's the last place they want to go. But yet you read in Revelation 9-11 that they're there. Because they come out. Because this portal is opened. By the way, don't be confused either that that's happening now. That is what Satanists think is happening now. That's what CERN, C-E-R-N, over in Switzerland, that's what it's all about. If you don't believe me, just do a little bit of research. Just a little bit. And you'll see everything they do is satanic. It's Luciferian. It's what they do. Satanists think now is their time. That's why when the bride hits, as the bride is taking land, there is to be no compromise. No compromise. And it is for the sake of these precious, deceived People. See, God could just take us right now and take us to heaven and we live in bliss. But what about those who are deceived? What about those who live their lives believing these lies? What about them? Now, God's called us to fight for them. God's called us to fight and He said, do not stop. I want you to turn one other place. And then I'm done. Still in Exodus, but go over to chapter 34. It'll say the covenant renewed. And and basically, what happened in between is is God gives the commandments. And while he's up there, Moses is up there so long, the Israelites lose faith. And they decide to party and, you know, build this golden calf and all this junk. and, And... You can read all that. It goes through this huge divide. Huge divide in Israel. And then it comes up to this, verse 10 of chapter 34. And he said, Behold, 
I am making a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among you are, are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their ashram. For you shall worship no other God. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. I speak this because this is the word that is before his remnant today. He is going to give us this promised land. By the way, you ever wonder what the promised land is for the bride? I mean, do we get like a, you know, do we get like eight of the states to be ours? No. It goes back to an original promise. An original promise before that promise was thwarted. That original promise was to Adam. That original promise and command was go. Seize the entire earth. Take control of the entire earth. Do my will in the entire earth. That is the promised land. Not heaven. Heaven's going to be great. But it'll be better if you obey him here. Understand that the promised land is this globe. And what God is going to do is systematically cleanse all of those seven areas and all the way down to the smallest of demonic spirits. They will be cleansed. They will be sent to the abyss. Why do you think they are so enraged when they're released again in Revelation 9? One, because they never saw this coming. We know that, and, and I shared this a few weeks ago, we know that when the spirit of Antichrist was tried in the court of nations, Satan had no idea. Satan had no idea. In fact, he was glib and he was smug and arrogant. And then when God said, yes, I will let this go, we will have this court case and whatever, Whatever he said, Satan's like, what? Wait, wait a second. Wait a second. I, you promised me a timeline. You promised me this was my time. God's response was, I promise you nothing. Nothing. That was when the spirit of Antichrist was found guilty. About ten months later, another spirit, the spirit of the false prophet, 
which are the three, those two with Satan, is the unholy trinity. That spirit was tried, cast to the abyss. Understand, and I promise you this, even Satan's time is coming. Even Satan's time. I don't know when, but the Lord said soon. You know, it's that all-encompassing word. (laughs) But it's coming. I think it's much like what the Lord said in, you know, about the leading up to the, the, uh, the flood. Where he said, you're going to watch your children, being the Nephilim, you're going to watch your children die. You're going to watch your children pay a price. I think that's what the Lord is doing. He's having Satan watch his kingdom be dismantled. Now, this isn't the end of all ends. This is the end of his reign on this earth for now. Until the Holy Spirit's taken off the earth. We know that's at the seventh trumpet, at the end of the bride. When the bride is taken up in the rapture, then Satan will be released. Then these things will be done to where he could come and that will be his time. That's why it said, woe to the world, for he knows his time is short. So don't compromise. As you are at your homes, as you are at other people's homes, know you have the authority to take that land. You don't have, we don't own this land here. But we have the authority in the Spirit to take it. And we have. We took it the first week we were here. Do that everywhere you go because you have the authority to kick them out. To drive them away. We have a base here. Lord told us five or six years ago we had a 30 mile radius base. There's a prayer tower he's going to put. And we know the land. But if you draw a string 30 miles out and then draw a circle with that tower in the middle, that is this 30-mile radius that he is called to be our base. So church, and I'm speaking to us right here, right now, let's cleanse the base. If you walk into a store and, and you feel the demonic presence in there, command it to leave. Because you have authority over land rights. That doesn't mean, and, and, and I don't want to be confusing here, that doesn't mean you can go up to somebody and, you know, who is living in sin and whatever and, and say, I command the demonic spirit off you. No, they're going to look at you and they're going to say, no, we have authority with this person because they've said yes to us. And that's true. And those are very low level demonic spirits. But the land in which they stand, they have no right to. They have no right any longer. That, that right has been taken. The head has been cut off. And we're to take this land with no compromise. Come on up. No compromise. No compromise. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit has the same message we never share with each other what 
God gives us, and yet, um, isn't it interesting, girls, that were in the women's class this morning, how the devoted thing is so similar in that way in terms of consecrating yourself. You know, if we're going to walk by faith and not by sight, we have to understand the spirit realm. If we're going to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, we have to understand the spirit realm. And there's just two things I want to mention before we close in prayer this morning. And that is, we have to really see the ways of God and the ways that he works. You know, Jesus said to the woman at the well, you need to worship in spirit and in truth. We need to understand the things of the spirit. And pertaining to this story and this assignment, I hope... What landed on you were two things. One, that you believe that when God sends you on a spiritual assignment, it it is as significant as going and moving something in the physical from A to B. You You can see the evidence of it. In the spirit, when he has you remove or you do something, there is it is as significant. Now, as to the why, why Greg? That's a really key issue. And that's where the bride gets very, very messed up. Because there's one or two reactions. People usually think, okay, well, wow, Greg was, you know, asked to do this big assignment and clear out a principality all the way over in Stonehenge as if there's a a ranking of where Greg is versus anybody else. That is messed up. He just did the assignment that God gave him, not unlike any one of us being given an assignment. If the bride knew who they were and what we were called to do, we would never have this hierarchy in the bride of people being above us or beneath us. We would just know that our assignment is ours, their assignment is theirs. And quite frankly... The weight of what God has called Greg to, and not only him, but but I'll just speak to him because of this story this morning. The weight is that he carries and bears tremendous responsibility to whom much is given, much is required. Was Moses better than anyone? He was just called to be set apart for such a time as it was when the children of Israel were going to be called out of slavery. God raised up a Moses. You need to know, and I need to know, God is raising us up for our assignment in wherever he sends us. And the part where Greg said that he was very fixed and very kind of, it could have become very myopic on the need for delivering this word when he got to Nigeria and making sure the buildings and the, the chickens and the compound runnings and even the evangelistic um, endeavor that was going to happen the week after he got there, he, he could have been so fixed on the need there. And it is so great that he never would have been in tune with the fact that God had an additional huge assignment that he wanted to do in stealth from the enemy. See, when we get focused on need responses, If we're responsive only to needs before us, we can become very confused and thinking that that's terrible, that's an issue. Even issues very close to us, in our neighborhoods, at our jobs, 
in our own families. And we can sometimes respond and think, i got to deal with this. If we are not told by God directly where to go and what to deal with, hands off. And that's a very, very hard word when it is something extremely close to you. And so if he hadn't listened and taken, as he said, each step to say, okay, Lord, I know you sent me to Nigeria, but you know, sometimes when we get our initial mandate from the Lord, we're like, okay, got it. I'm good. I know what I'm doing. And then along the steps, we stop listening. And we get really messed up. And the Lord said we're supposed to walk. We can make our plans, Proverbs says, but the Lord orders our steps. Might be in Psalms. But he's the one that orders our steps. And what a perfect example of that. That this incredible assignment that he was waiting for would not have happened if he had thought he was only supposed to, well, you know what, I mean, I don't need to talk to God about this. I keep sending me to Nigeria. I'm going there, and I'm going to deal with da-da-da-da-da, A, B, C, D. This is my job. I got it, Lord. But God had another whole plan. And how many of us are missing huge things that God may be calling us to do, assignments for right now, because of other things that we know that God has told us to do, and we're not listening to the steps on the way to that first assignment that he told us. He may have a few other ones. We've got to listen every single step and know that it isn't just special people called. God has called each one of us to significant assignments. Assignments that only you can do, Derek. Assignments that only Shannon can do. That only Marty can do. He has given us a voice and influence, an aptitude, all kinds of things towards the thing. He has equipped us for what he has called us to. And we don't want to miss that. That is what you learn in relationship to Jesus. And as I said last week, man, there wouldn't even be a need if we were all just listening to him, fulfilling every assignment. There wouldn't be a person around us that, that was in need of encouragement because each person would do their job. Do you come to just receive from the pulpit? Or do you come filled up from the secret place with the Lord and pouring out in your own way as the Lord calls you, even if you're not speaking perhaps publicly? We've become kind of a walking by sight and not by faith. And that's what causes people to either doubt, oh, who do they think they are? Who does he think he is going to stone him? What he thinks he has authority? He doesn't think he has anything. And I can certainly attest to that. What he thinks is that he will stand before God as I will and as you will if you do not listen to the voice of God and do exactly what he says. So however fantastical an assignment or small an assignment if it's what the Lord is saying, if it's what he's breathing on and calling you into, we've got to obey. It's just so, so important. And I do want to say, lastly, before we pray, this abyss is hell. It was not created for mankind. But there is a God who in his holiness and justice has no choice as a righteous judge that if we do not receive him as Savior with repentance of our sin. And invite him to into our life. We will spend eternity in hell. We don't often state that as boldly. Because of preaching relationship with Jesus. And the Holy Spirit does his job to reveal that. But I just want to state that unequivocally this morning. That there is a hell. And 
anyone listening online or listening on the podcast this morning, if you've never, if you've never gone before the Lord and asked Him to forgive you of your sin and invite Him into your life, invite Him into the beginning of a beautiful relationship with Jesus, oh, do it today. Do it today, and then enjoy Him as He teaches you. Yes, there will still be sanctification sin throughout the process, and things will go to Him for to repent of sometimes selfishness and self-focus and anything. But when He's in your life, the Holy Spirit resides within you. He will guide you into all truth as you seek Him every single day. Don't reject the Lord, and, and our assignment Because it's time. The army rising up is to tell a lost world, desperate and hopeless and confused, the chaos that is everywhere from the demonic realm. And it is more, if you pay attention, it's more chaotic because the hierarchy of Satan's leaders are already gone in the abyss. That's why nothing seems to make sense. Have you seen double talk with people and leadership? There's just... It's a bizarre kind of a, of a chaotic realm. The demons are raging and God is exposing everything, but there's no order to anything. It's just all this, this incredible chaos. And God's allowing, and by the way, that's what happens when you begin to shake something. Things get chaotically kind of unsettled. And God's allowing it because he's like, I am your God. Look to me. And he is bringing all of us to a place where there can be no reliance on anything but him. We see it already. There are shortages. There's all kinds of bizarre things happening. Now they're talking rolling blackouts. Things that no matter what what you think you might be able to put in place, God is saying, I am your source. And we, we can just rest on This is for our enemies. It's not for God's people. God can provide from five loaves and two fish. He can provide from an empty basket. Trust Him. He is our source. And many of us know that, but sometimes it takes being in human lack to see that God really is our source. And I was so blessed. I, I, I had a something again in my eye. The enemy's been coming after my eyes, something fierce. And this was just so bad and so ridiculous. And I prayed. It was so amazing. I just said, Lord, would you do this? Would you do this? I'll, I'll fight it out. I'll deal with, you know, just because at some point it gets so bad that I have to close my eyes. And it was early in the evening, and I thought, I just, I don't want to have to close my eyes. I, you know, Lord, I have things to do. And, and Brooke anointed and prayed. And I mean, we just prayed, and we bound. And I mean, I may have blinked 20 more times at a blink. And it was completely gone. And I was just amazed. I mean, I didn't even add any more moisture drops and things that you all, human, you know, I had done all that. Nothing had worked. After we prayed, it completely disappeared. God is on the throne. He heals. He delivers. He strengthens. He gives rest. He gives hope, help. He restores. He redeems. He, he is our strong tower in every situation that we're in. And he wants us to be pure without compromise. Then listen and then do the assignments he's given us. Don't think you wouldn't be called to something very, very unusual. If you're listening and you do it, watch what he'll do with your life. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you this morning. I thank you, God, for even giving us the opportunity to stand with you in Jesus. God, I just I praise you for, Philipp- for Ephesians 3.20. And God is able to make, um, to do exceeding abundantly above all that we would even dare, the Amplified says, 
Ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. God, by your spirit, you are the exceeding abundantly above God. And I thank you, God. Help us to just believe you for what you want to do through each of us, through individually and then as a body. God, you want to work through your people to rise up like an Esther for such a time as this so that the world can see who you are, not who we are. Even though we know all creation is is groaning to see the sons of God, Father, help us to not be distracted by even the good things in life that, that maybe are part of your permissible, but they are not your perfect. Would there have been grace upon Greg if he hadn't paid attention to your voice? Yes, but there would have been a massive change and even maybe delay in ways that you work. Because when your people don't pay attention, you go about it a new way. God, help us to not miss our assignment. That your plan would be furthered because of our obedience, our uncompromising obedience. I pray, God, that you would wake us up even further and thank you that many, many are awakening. They're beginning to see, they're beginning to to crucify their hesitation and their, their cynicism of what you are speaking through your prophets, what you're even speaking to them, and they're beginning to believe you. God, I pray for more, more of that as the faces of those young people at U of D are still constantly in my mind. Girls that I guess they call emo just completely head-to-toe marked for the enemy. So scantily dressed because they don't know their value by you, almighty God. And God, you, you just, you show me them constantly because those are the people you want to reach. Who are desperate, who are hopeless, who, who are now feeling like they'd rather die than have hope because they can't handle another disappointment. Oh God, let us rise up. Let us show the love of God to the world. There is no time to mess around with self-indulgence, self-preservation, any kind of compromise to go along, to get along. For what? So we feel better in the moment? At the cost of your will being done on earth as it is in heaven? God, Help us to say we will not, that we will choose you, your ways, your will. God, I pray, give us a fire, a fire that that is even surprising to us within us. Give us a boldness. Give the most quiet, soft-spoken voice a boldness. Because some will shout in the human realm, others will whisper with power. However you made us, God. Flow through us with your power, Holy Spirit. And we give you the glory, you the honor, you the praise, Almighty God, in the mighty, holy, awesome name of Jesus.